please open to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. This morning, believe it or not, we come to the concluding verses of this wonderful book. And if you had nothing else to be thankful for, then perhaps you can be thankful uh, for that. That this is the grand conclusion to this wonderful book. Uh, Today, believe it or not, marks 62 weeks that we have been studying through the gospel of Jesus according to John. 62 weeks weeks of us beholding the Word made flesh. 62 weeks of considering the great I am, the way, the truth, and the life, the one who is full of grace, the one who was sent by the Father to reveal the goodness and the glory of God, beholding the one who has conquered sin and death, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, and who will soon return. And we have, again, if nothing Nothing else. We have so much to be thankful for in Christ, for all that He has done, for all that He has accomplished for us and in us and for what he is yet to do. Now, in the verses before us this morning, as you'll recall, as we've looked at the last few weeks, Jesus is on the beach with his disciples. He is on the shore. They have eaten breakfast, a breakfast that Jesus himself has prepared. By the way, in case you didn't know, do you know how the Son of God, the, the, the Eternal One, makes breakfast? Breakfast. That, that's how he makes breakfast. When the Son of God, he can speak breakfast into existence. And so Jesus has prepared a wonderful breakfast for his men and they have come in off and, uh, off from fishing and they have enjoyed this breakfast and now Jesus goes for a little walk with Peter. Jesus goes to talk with Peter, to encourage Peter, to call Peter back to the most significant, to the most important things. So, John chapter 21, we're going to, just to get the context, we're going to read the last 11 verses of this book. We're going to start in verse 15. I know that Brother Steve covered a lot of these verses with us last week, but just to get the context, to get a running start, we're going to start reading in verse 15. John 21, verse 15. says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned. And saw the disciple whom Jesus loved 
following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So reads the words of the living God. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, this morning we rejoice and we are so thankful to know that there is hope for people like us because Jesus lives Because Jesus has conquered sin and death. Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning for your goodness, for your grace that you have shown to us and have given to us. Father, as we now study these verses, we pray that you would enlarge our faith. We pray that you would deepen our love for you. Help us to learn what it means to truly live thankful lives as we follow you. You are a great God and a great Savior. We rejoice in you and we pray this in Jesus' good and precious name. Amen. This morning, we want to look at three things. Firstly, the Savior's clear direction. Then the disciples' common distraction. And then lastly, the author's concluding declaration. These verses help us draw us back to the most important things, which again, of course, is Christ and our need to follow Him. These verses help expose the easy and the subtle distractions that we all constantly face. So, firstly, please note it on your outline, A, the Savior's clear direction which is follow me, follow me. These are wonderful verses of hope and encouragement. These were wonderful words for Peter to hear as, as Jesus, again, refocuses Peter on the main thing. Here, Jesus, he restores Peter to ministry, to the task at hand. He asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Okay, then. We have work to do. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. Follow me. Peter, we have work to do. You have a job to accomplish. And yet, you could understand, couldn't you, if perhaps Peter was maybe a little apprehensive about again following Christ. Peter had failed Jesus so many times. Peter had even recently, as you know, he had denied Christ three times and he had done so in dramatic fashion. He had, he had denied Christ. He had denied that he even knew Jesus and he had done so with vehemence, with passion in his voice. What if Peter fails again? What if 
Peter denies Jesus again, is it really such a good idea for Peter to again follow Jesus? Is it really such a good idea for Jesus to restore Peter to ministry and have him continue on in this kind of leadership role? I think that this is perhaps why Jesus speaks to Peter so frankly and so honestly about his future, about Peter's coming death. About one day when Peter would honor Christ and would glorify God through his death. Look again at verse 18. Jesus says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then John inserts this this word of commentary that helps us put this all together. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, I know that at perhaps first glance, this might seem like it's a discouraging thing to say to Peter, hey, Peter, one day you're going to die for me. Okay, I I realize that at first glance, you might think, man, that sounds like a downer. That sounds like a discouraging thing for Jesus to to say to Peter. But it's really not. I actually think this this is a wonderful thing for Jesus to say to Peter. Essentially, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, I know all things. I know that you do love me and I know that one day you will give your life for my honor and glory. Peter, there's coming a day in the future when you will not fail. You will not deny that you know me, but you will willingly and gladly lay down your life for my honor and glory. You will glorify me one day through your death. And for Peter, a man who had a history of good beginnings and bad endings, this is good news. Peter was not going to end his life in failure. Peter's not going to end his life denying Christ, but he will follow Christ even though it cost him everything. And church history testifies to this fact that Peter did indeed die for Christ. He was persecuted for proclaiming the gospel. He was ultimately crucified upside down at his own request. Because he didn't think himself worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. Because of God's work in Peter's life, he would persevere. Because of God's grace in Peter's life, Peter would not end as a failure. Because of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, Peter would follow Christ and he would finish his race well. But... Please don't misunderstand the emphasis of these verses. Please note this on your outline. I think this is important for us to understand. The emphasis here is not on dying for Christ, but on living for Christ. We may be tempted to wrongly look at these verses and think that Jesus is saying, Okay, Peter, do you love me? Well, then die for me. That's, that's not the emphasis of the text. The emphasis is, Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. 
follow me. Listen, the real question is not, are you perhaps one day in the future willing to die for Christ? No, the question is this, today, are you willing to live for Christ? Today, are you willing to follow Christ and, yes, die to self and love Christ with your mind, your heart, your soul, your strength? Are you willing to honor Jesus with how you use your money, your time, your voice, your talents, your attitude? On the one hand, I think that it is perhaps easy for us to sit back and to fantasize and to imagine about one day perhaps in the future when we would heroically die for Christ and we we imagine different scenarios in which we would profess Christ and years from now maybe be willing to die for Him, but perhaps it is more difficult to ask these kinds of questions. What about that $10 in your pocket that Jesus wants you to give away today? What about sharing the gospel at work tomorrow with that terrible co-worker that you just don't really like? What about serving and caring for your needy and annoying neighbors? What about setting aside time to love and serve and care for your fellow believers, the very believers that God has called you into fellowship with? What about making worship and prayer and Bible study the, the, the priority that God says it should be in your life? Are you willing to live for Christ? Are you willing to follow Him, to take up your cross and daily follow Him? Jesus said in John 14, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Jesus said again in John 14, Whoever has My commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves Me. Jesus said again in John 14, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Yes, those who truly love Christ, those who have been transformed by his grace, delight to live for him. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Follow me. And brothers and sisters, you know, for those of you that have read and studied the book of Acts, Peter indeed did this. He, empowered by the Holy Spirit, did carry on. And he loved Christ and he lived for Christ and he cared for the people of God. A wise friend once commented to me that here Jesus turns a fisherman into a shepherd. And and to be sure, that is true. Not that Peter would ever stop fishing for men, but Peter would become a shepherd who would care for the souls of God's people, who would care to watch over and to protect the very people of God. As we look at the book of Acts, we see a man who is passionate to teach the Word of God, who lovingly and is willing to confront sin A man who speaks boldly to both Jew and Gentile about the saving power of Christ. This fisherman does indeed become a shepherd and he learns what it means to care for God's people. And it was this same Peter who would write years later in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2 these words like newborn infants 
long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is what Peter longs for, that those who are the people of God would long for the word of God, for the pure spiritual milk, so that they would grow up into Christ, so that they would grow up into maturity, into Christ-likeness. Loving Jesus, caring for the people of God, it's almost as if Jesus is calling Peter back to the greatest first and the greatest second most commandments. Remember that in Matthew 22, Jesus explained that to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength is the greatest commandment. And then to love your neighbor as yourself is the second greatest commandment. It's as if Jesus is calling Peter back to these fundamental realities that we would love him and then in turn from that as an outgrowth of loving Christ We would love one another. We would serve one another. We would desire to see one another grow. These things are connected. They are not unrelated to love Jesus and to love the people of God. Now, as you, I'm sure, noticed, in addition uh, to Jesus telling Peter, tend my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, Jesus also, twice, tells Peter, follow me. Follow me. And brothers and sisters, this is a good reminder for us to hear. And it's interesting to note that uh, Jesus would first call Peter to himself years earlier with this same command, follow me. And now at the end, at the end of John, John chapter 21, here Peter again hears these words, follow me. Peter heard it at the beginning, follow me. He hears it now at the end, follow me. And again, this is a good reminder for us, brothers and sisters, whether you have been a Christian for many years or for just a a, a short time, the need is the same. The need is for you to follow Christ. Whether you are old in your faith or whether you are young in your faith, the need is for you to follow Christ. Whether you think you are doing very well in your Christian walk, or whether you are convinced you are a hot mess, the need is the same for you to follow Christ. This is always the need, is for us to continue to persevere following Christ. But what does this mean? What does this, what does this practically and tangibly look like to follow Christ? We don't want to leave this this morning As a totally uh, abstract idea, we want to put a little bit of flesh and bones on it. For starters, I think we should say that to follow Jesus means to be concerned about the same things that Jesus is concerned about. To follow Jesus means to be passionate about the same things that Jesus was passionate about. To follow Jesus means that we adopt His priorities and that we make them our priorities. And it is clear throughout the Gospel of John that Jesus is passionate about the glory of God. Jesus' priority 
is to magnify the Father and to do His will. Jesus' concern is for the spiritual well-being and for the development of His children. Jesus is passionate to teach the truth. Jesus is passionate that His people would apply the truth. Jesus desires that we would walk in a true demonstration of sacrificial love following His example. Brothers and sisters, this is what it means to follow Christ. If we can put it in some broad categories. To be passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. To walk as He walked. To show this same kind of sacrificial love to one another. The need for Peter and for us again is to follow Christ in these areas. And if that's where the book ended, then we could close in prayer and go to lunch. But that's not where the book ends, because following Christ, as you well know, if you've been at this for any length of time, is not the easiest thing. But we are constantly bombarded with distractions that seek to hinder us, that seek to want to take our eyes off of Jesus, and that is a problem that Peter would encounter next. If you are, again, filling in blanks on your outline, this brings us to be on our outline, the disciples' common distraction, which is, yeah, but what about that guy? What about him? This really is an incredible scene. Here Jesus is teaching Peter to uh, uh, love him, to care for his people. The very last thing that we read before verse 20 that Jesus says to Peter is this, follow me. And in response to that, we read in verse 20, Peter turned. You've got to be kidding me. I mean, Jesus looks right at him and says, follow me. The very first thing that Peter does after receiving that command is he turns. He seems to do the exact opposite of what Jesus is asking him to do. And Peter immediately becomes preoccupied with something else, with something other than following Jesus. Look at what it is. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? I know this goes without saying, but that's one of the joys of preaching is you get to say what goes without saying. But note this on your outline. Number one, Peter quickly becomes distracted. Oh, Peter so quickly becomes distracted, almost seemingly immediately after having this profound conversation with Jesus, where Jesus tells him about his coming death, where Jesus challenges him to follow him. The first thing that Peter seems to think is, yeah, but what about this guy, Lord? Is he going to have to die too? What's going to happen to him? Is he going to face a martyr's death like me? Or is he going to live longer than I? Jesus, what's his story? What's your plan for him? What's going to happen to him? Please note this on your outline. One of the greatest hindrances and distractions in the Christian life is wasted time worrying about other people. Their gifts, their ministry, their blessings, their successes, and their failures. Here Jesus tells Peter to follow him. 
And Peter promptly becomes distracted. And brothers and sisters, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We seemingly love to obsess and gossip and wonder and speculate about the gifts, the talents, the abilities, and the future of other believers. Instead of following Christ, instead of doing what Jesus has called us to do, it is so easy for us to turn around and to become preoccupied looking at each other, ranking each other, evaluating each other, thinking things like, why in the world did God give that talent or that gift to that person? Why don't I have those kinds of abilities? Why does life and ministry seem so easy for that brother or sister and so hard for me? Am I a better Christian than them? Or are they a better Christian than me? Why doesn't God bless me like he's blessed them? If I were God, I would never use a person like that. I would never give that person that gift or that ministry or that I wouldn't do it that way. You, we waste so much time on these kinds of thoughts. And just so you know, I know that you know this, this kind of distraction, it's not unique to Peter. It's not unique to us. The Corinthian Christians struggled with this very thing. The Apostle Paul had to write to them, addressing this with, with them in their fellowship. They were preoccupied with envying one another, ranking one another, putting each other in categories of, of usefulness. I believe these verses are on your outline from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul writes, This is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Be careful, writes Paul. Be careful. Don't become distracted. Don't become preoccupied. Don't make yourself the master Christian critic trying to rank one another, trying to decide who's on varsity, who's on junior varsity, who's just a flake, who's just barely getting along. No, the final evaluation will come from Christ, not us. And please notice what Paul even says here. He says, you know, I'm not so concerned with your evaluation of my life. I'm not so concerned with with your judgment of my life. In fact, I don't even really uh, care about what I think about myself because I know that ultimately Christ will have the final word. Christ will have the final say and his judgment, his evaluation will be perfect and it will be complete. 
So brothers and sisters, again, the priority, the priority for us is always to follow Christ, to continue to follow Christ, to seek to glorify God. And Peter's response, again, shows us the weakness of our sinful minds that we can so easily become distracted, wanting to know everybody else's business. In the front cover of my Bible, I have a a quote that I have um, uh, taped there. I was given this years and years and years ago, even before Anna and I moved here to uh, the great state of Indiana. Uh, But when we were still living in California before it burned to the ground. Uh, But someone that I dearly love and and respect gave gave me this quote, and I keep it in the front cover of my Bible, and I I think about it often. I, I, I read it often. I may have shared this with you before, but I want to read it again. It's called Being About the Father's Business. It says, Stick with your work. Do not flinch because the lion roars. Do not stop to stone the devil's dogs. Do not toil away your time chasing the devil's rabbits. Do your work. Let liars lie. Let sectarians quarrel. Let critics malign. Let enemies accuse. Let the devil do his worst. But see to it, nothing hinders you from fulfilling with joy the work God has given you. He has not commanded you to be admired or esteemed. He has never bidden you defend your character. He has not set you at work to contradict falsehood about yourself, which Satan's or God's servants may start to peddle. Or to track down every rumor that threatens your reputation. If you do these things, you will do nothing else. You will be at work for yourself and not for the Lord. Keep at your work. Let your aim be as steady as a star. You may be assaulted, wronged, insulted, slandered, wounded, and rejected, misunderstood, or assigned impure motives. You may be abused by foes, forsaken by friends, and despised and rejected of men. But see to it with steadfast determination, with unfaltering zeal, that you pursue the great purpose of your life an object of your being until at last you can say i have finished the work which thou gavest me to do brothers and sisters let us follow christ let us be preoccupied with what he is passionate about let us make his priorities our priorities Too often, things seek to take our eyes and our gaze off of Christ, and we must fight daily. We must fight moment by moment to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Christ. Notice with me now how how Jesus responds to Peter's distraction. Jesus does not ignore Peter's distraction. Rather, he, he confronts it head on, and he calls Peter back to follow him. Look again at verse 22. Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Number two on your outline here, Jesus rebukes Peter, calling him again to follow him. This is quite an answer that uh, Jesus gives to Peter, and there are a couple of things that we ought to say about it. Firstly, note this on your outline. Jesus strongly asserts his sovereignty. In this answer, Jesus strongly asserts his sovereignty. This is a 
powerful statement. Jesus makes it known that his will is absolute. If he wants John to live until the second coming, that is his business and it will be accomplished. Peter needs to know that what happens to John is ultimately Jesus's business and it does not belong to him. Jesus has John's future covered. Jesus asserts his sovereignty. Also, note this on your outline. Jesus strongly asserts that his children are his concern. His children are his concern. Jesus says, if, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Essentially, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you need to understand something. I ultimately don't have to explain myself to you. I don't have to explain to you my purposes and my plans for John. I have John's future covered just like I have your future covered. And brothers and sisters, there is something very beautiful and something very practical for us in this. Those people in our life, those ones that we love and we care for so dearly, they don't belong to us. They belong to God. And we can entrust them and their future to Christ. To those of you that are married, your spouse ultimately belongs to God. They do not belong to you. To uh, to those of you that have children, your children belong to God. And you can trust Him with His plans for them. To those of you... uh, Uh, Those of you that have parents, your parents belong to God and you can entrust them and their future to God. To those of you that have friends, your friends belong to God. To those of you that have enemies, your enemies belong to God and you can entrust them as well to a faithful creator who will do what is right in his timing and in his way. Here Jesus reminds Peter that he can and will do what he wants with his children, and he's not obligated to explain himself to us. Now, what follows in verse 23 is a very interesting note of clarification, that obviously John the Apostle felt that it was important that this be included because rumors had begun to to spread about what what, uh, Jesus had said regarding John and and Peter. Look again at verse 23. says, so the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Now, please note this on your outline. Verse 23 is an important clarification and its inclusion reveals some things about this book. That is important that we take note of. Like all scripture, uh, we have much to learn from it. And this verse is no different, even though it may seem like such a just a, a brief note of clarification. First of all, note this on your outline. This statement indicates or seems to indicate that John most likely wrote this book later in life. Later in life, around 80 or 90 A.D. 
By the time John wrote this book and completed this book, enough time had passed. Even years had passed for this rumor to circulate that Jesus had said, or had supposedly said, that John was not going to die, but would essentially live and never die until the second coming of Christ. And enough time had elapsed from from the writing of this book and from the conversation that Jesus had had that this rumor had spread to such a degree that John felt the need to address it here and to clarify exactly what Jesus had said. This is one more reason why many Bible scholars, again, believe that this book was written around 80 or 90 AD. But not just that. Please note this on your outline. This statement reminds us of the importance of paying attention to every word that Jesus says. Every word that Jesus says is important. Listen, all it took was two letters. All it took was one tiny little word, one tiny little misrepresentation of this conversation for the meaning to be totally turned on its head. It's just the word if. If. Jesus had said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, and somehow it had been turned into, it is my will that he remain until I come. Right? And so here John, I think, is calling us back to, to pay attention to every word that Jesus says. Every word is precious. Every word of God is valuable. This is why it took us 62 weeks to get through the Gospel of John. Because we don't just want to skip over things. We want to look at and consider the precious word of God. And so I think at the end of the book, John again calls us back to to be attentive to the details of Scripture that we may learn and grow. And then also, another thing we should learn from this, note this on your outline, this statement reminds us of our need to at times humbly accept correction. We all need to at times to humbly accept correction. The dear believers who misunderstood this conversation, who thought that John was never going to die, they were wrong. They, they were wrong. They were in need of correction. They were not malicious. They were simply wrong. And so John corrects them and he helps give them the right understanding of Jesus' conversation with Peter. But again, we all need to admit that from time to time, our opinions and our preferences and our understanding, it needs to be corrected by a true interpretation of Scripture. This is why Paul would write in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be trained transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our minds, our thinking is not infallible. And we are in constant need of correction. We are in constant need of the Word of God to give us understanding and true insight into these matters. And this is why John writes what he writes. This is why Jesus corrects Peter. This is why Jesus calls Peter back to the main thing, to follow him. And this is what we need as well. Having said that, uh, we now come to the final 
two verses of this book. Two verses and we are done. Uh, this is C on your outline. Please note this. Here we see the author's concluding declaration. And his concluding declaration is simply this. Christ is infinitely glorious. Christ is infinitely glorious. Here John wraps up this precious book by saying something about himself and then something about Christ. Look again at verse 24. Verse 24 says, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Firstly, number one on your outline, we learn something about John, the author. And that is, his testimony is true. His testimony is is true. The Apostle John affirms that he is the one writing this book and that what he is writing is the truth. Now, some have wondered why John speaks in the third person. Why does John say that we know his testimony is true? That's that's kind of an odd thing to say. You don't normally write that way. You don't normally speak in the third person. I don't walk around saying, Chris Fritz likes turkey. Chris Fritz doesn't like turkey. Chris Fritz likes macaroni and cheese. We don't don't usually talk that way. So why is John doing this here and now? Who's the we? We know that his testimony is true. Who is John referring to? Well, perhaps John is referring to the apostles in general. That he is speaking as an apostle, uh, giving apostolic witness with all the other apostles who have testified to the truth of Christ. Perhaps that's what he means by the we. We, the apostles, we know that his testimony of true. Or perhaps John is referring to his readers that he knows accepts his testimony. So perhaps as he writes this, he's writing with his readers in mind saying, we know, I know that you know that what I'm saying is the truth. So we know that my testimony is true. Or perhaps John is including all believers of all time who believe and accept the word of God. We, we believers of all time who embrace the truth concerning Christ, we know that this is the truth. Or perhaps John here is acknowledging the Holy Spirit's role, this dual authorship. We know that this testimony is true. Either way, exactly whoever the we is, I think this is tremendous humility on John's part, that he does not set himself up as John the super apostle. As John, the one you cannot question. But he simply says, we know that his testimony is true. In great humility, I think John longs and implores believers to recognize again the truth concerning Christ. John loved to do this. If you read the little book of 1 John, he continues this pattern of speaking in the third person. But the point is, John loved to emphasize what all true Christians believe. And he does that here in this book. Lastly, look again at verse 25. He concludes with, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Please note this on your outline. Here we learn something about Christ the Savior. There is so much more that could be said. There's so much more that could be said. John's like, I've barely scratched the surface. 
with what you have read, with what you see here in in this gospel. I've barely scratched the surface. Christ is infinitely glorious. He has shown us the character and nature of God. He has shown us perfect grace and truth. He has shown us the glory and the power of God. He's done so much. He has said so much. The whole world itself could not contain the books to describe the glory and the greatness of Christ. And so then we ask the question, well then why, John, did you include what you included? Why did you include these specific things? Why these uh, 21 chapters? Well, John told us back in chapter 20, verse 31, where he said, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, John knows that there are a lot of ways that people have responded to Jesus and will respond to Jesus. John has written his book imploring us, pleading with us to respond in the only appropriate way, which is worship and adoration and faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here would be John's advice. Don't pity Jesus. Don't doubt Jesus. Don't deny Jesus. Don't mock Jesus. Don't reject Jesus. Don't misrepresent Jesus. Don't hate Jesus. Don't laugh at Jesus. Don't wander away from Jesus. And don't redefine Jesus Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow Him. Love Him. And listen, you will live a life that reaps eternal benefit. You will live a life that reaps eternal blessing. You will live a life that you will never regret for all of eternity. Love Jesus. Worship Him. Love His people. Follow Him Today, listen, brothers and sisters, friends, don't wait until tomorrow. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. You are not guaranteed one more moment. The need for us is to follow Christ today. Believe in him today. Worship him today. The choir sang about it earlier. He is worthy. He is worthy of your love and worthy of your worship. As we close the service, we're going to sing just a little more together than we will be dismissed to lunch. But if you would like to talk with someone about what it means to follow Christ, to love him, to worship him, it would be our joy and honor to talk with you and to pray with you today. Please seek out one of our elders. They'll be here at the front and scattered throughout the auditorium and some at the doors. But please don't leave until you've talked with someone. Let's pray. Gracious Father, please do your work. Apply this precious truth to our hearts. Change us from the inside out. Correct our thinking where it needs to be corrected. For your glory, for our joy, help us to know what it means to love you like we should. Help us to know what it means to love one another as we should. Father, we want to follow Christ. Give us the faith to do do this. Give us the strength that we need. 
And Father, for the food that we are about to eat in just a few moments, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the many hands that have prepared it. We thank you for this time when we can sit and talk and fellowship with one another. May you be honored and glorified through what we do and say. And we pray this in Jesus' good and precious name. Amen.